So chapter eight, the consideration. So just to refer you back real quick, uh, just to look at it on page 15, is that, that, that kind of uh, little chart or flow thing, meditation equals memory plus consideration producing conversation with Christ, right? So this, this consideration, so we selected the material and now there's an application of our interior faculties, both our sensible faculties and our spiritual faculties, right? So the memory, the imagination, and the intellect on the material. And so one of the things that Ignatius of Loyola is extremely strong on is the use of the imagination. And just because, just to confuse everything, um, throughout the history of spirituality, and I haven't studied the history of spirituality that much, but there's, there's different uses of the word contemplation, right? And so there's a Carmelite use of the word contemplation, which means imageless prayer, somewhat beginning of mystical prayer, right, where God is drawing the individual and there's acquired contemplation. There's different sort of, anyways. So there's a Carmelite understanding of it, but then there's what Ignatius calls contemplation is exactly the use of the imagination to form images and praying in that way. So they mean two very different things and they're used by different authors in different ways. Just to confuse you. So, um, but Ignatius, when he, when he uses the imagination, he's very big on that and that's a big part of the exercises. Uh, so it's certainly something, and it's something that I'll give you some rules about, but just to read the book here, because I, I like the balance of it. Obviously, I love Ignatius, but I, I, I never push people to use the imagination too much. I encourage you to try if you haven't done it much, because it can be really powerful. And I'll give you, I think, um, yeah, I think this is where maybe I'll give you an example from my own prayer from a long time ago um, of just an experience of mine of, of the use of the, of the imagination in prayer. So, what does the book say here? St. Teresa recognized, this is page 39, St. Teresa recognized the inherent value of the imagina imaginative representation in prayer, that it serves to center one's powers of attention on the meditation and aids in warding off distractions. However, St. Teresa would have the Tyroet meditation tread a middle path by striving for neither too much nor too little detail in the imagination. Okay, so, and, and then page 41, not everyone has by nature an imagination capable of meditation, whereas all souls are capable of love. Blessed be God, right? So the mental representation of the scene of Christ's life is perhaps most easily affected by imagining that one is meditating, that one meditating is actually present at the particular scene or event. That's all page 42. So the use of the imagination, it can be very helpful, and for some people it becomes the way of prayer. Um, some people, it's not that helpful at all. Teresa generally would say a middle way. So let me give you some thoughts about what the middle way potentially looks like. Um, so Ignatius and the suggestions here, and then when he's quoting uh, Francis de Sales, if I remember correctly, Francis de Sales was extremely influenced by Ignatius of Loyola. 
So a lot of the stuff in the introduction to the devout life, his meditations, his, you know, sort of his examples of prayer. I mean, he himself went through the exercises, Francis de Sales did. And so a lot of his stuff is Ignatian, just Francis de Sales style. So the suggestion is it helps to even imagine that you're in the scene. And this can be a really powerful thing. Here's some rules that I give directees when they're going to use the imagination in prayer. Number one, let God put you in the scene. Right? So you begin maybe the imagination in the prayer by just starting to kind of form an imagination of the whole thing. Right? So let's say it's, it's Bartimaeus. So maybe you imagine just the scene of a road and a crowd of people and sort of maybe there's a group of people over there that you realize like Jesus is in there someplace and they're coming. So you start off something, but then you let God put you in the scene. Like just where do you feel led to enter the scene? And so maybe you feel led to be Bartimaeus. Maybe you feel led to be one of the people that tells Bartimaeus to shut up, right? Maybe you feel led to be one of the, you know, maybe you're St. Peter, you know, walking right next to, to Jesus. And you're like, wow, what's that? It sounds like somebody's shouting, you know, or whatever. So where are you? There was one time, this was a weird one. I didn't stay too long there, but like there was one time, I think it was in the incarnation when I was on my 30-day retreat, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, it was probably the presentation. And I was a fly on the donkey. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm still not sure what was up with that, right? But that's where I ended up. I didn't stay there that long, but I ended up there, right? And, um, and Ignatius himself talks about, uh, in, the, in the Nativity, he talks about the ox and the ass and, 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 and like imagining yourself a servant, you know, helping things out. Um, but, but the thing that can be really helpful is, so this, to let God kind of like move you to put you in the scene. So that's number one. Number two, if you find yourself trying to rearrange the furniture, that's not good. So what do I mean? So you're, you're meditating on, again, you're meditating on the nativity. So you just, you know, you're, you're imagining, okay, so there's the ox, there's the ass, there's the manger. No, I think the manger was probably bigger than that. Okay, so I'm going to make it a little bit bigger, and now I want more hay, and now, you know, so, and then I think there should be a mouse, so the, okay. No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. You're rearranging the furniture, right? You're not supposed to be Martha Stewart or somebody like that. You're just supposed to kind of let it come, right? So you want it to be a much more, just let it flow. Some people, like, and Ignatius even encourages this, they, they're there, and they smell the hay, and they, like, and if you can do that, that can be helpful, right? And he'll even do things later in the exercises where there's like this kind of even a deeper kind of repetition that he calls the application of the senses. And what he has you do is he has you go back into the imaginative prayer and then you just pick one sense that's been really powerful for you. So let's say it is smell. So like he'll have you like, hold the baby Jesus and smell him and just like stay with that, like what God gives you through that experience. For some people, it just doesn't do much. For some people, it's off the charts, really powerful prayer. Um, because the, the basic thing that Ignatius is trying to do is just help you to go deeper and deeper and deeper into God, right? But in any case, 
What you don't want is you to take control of the prayer, right? So if you're rearranging the furniture, no good. If you're trying to make your imagination super vivid and you just don't have it in you, stop. My imagination's a little bit in the middle. It's not something that I usually use in prayer, but God has used it in prayer. And I'll give you an example in a sec. But I just know that if I try to go too vivid, it's just exhausting for me and it doesn't work. So my imagination tends to be a little bit foggier, but the Lord still uses it. You know, he still uses it. And he still uses it. Yeah. Um, and then this is true for prayer in general, but when you're going through your prayer, if you're using the imagination, again, you want to let God be the driver and you be the passenger. So in a sense, you want spontaneous things to be able to happen, right? You want things to kind of come that you're like, wow, that, I, didn't, I just didn't see that. I totally was surprised, right? Totally surprised. Somebody was telling me a little while ago, they were meditating on the incarnation, and they were just looking at the poverty of like the stable and just like, just like, we're so upset about the whole thing and looking at the poverty of Mary and the poverty of Joseph and... And then, but then, in their prayer, Joseph turned to Mary in the midst of everything, and he said, I'm sorry I couldn't provide more. And Our Lady turned and looked at him and said, I've never been happier. Right? Surprise. Right? That's God driving the prayer. Right? That's God driving the prayer. Now, here's just a, a little example. So this was the first directed retreat I ever did in my life, uh, I don't remember how many years ago now, on Staten Island of all places, so in any case. And so I was, it was the blind man in the synagogue, so I had the synagogue, blind Jesus is there teaching, the blind man's there, or no, it was the man with the withered hand. Man with the withered hand, So I'm praying with it, and boom, God puts me as the man with the withered hand. I'm like, okay, this is a little uncomfortable. So there I am in the middle of everybody, I'm like, there's Jesus. Here I am. Everybody's watching. And, um, and so I was just in there in the prayer. And, you know, but then at some point, um, so Jesus says, stretch out your hand. So I stretch out my hand. And then, you know, sort of the prayer went on and sort of I went back and I was in my, imag- you know, just in the imagination. And I was there again. And Jesus said to me, stretch out your heart. And I was like, what does that mean? And then I looked down and I realized that in my hand there was a thing, right? And so I stretched out my hand with this like rock of a heart in it, as it turned out, right? And so then the meditation went forward. But like, that's not in the scripture. Like, where did that come from? Again, when God drives the car with the imagination, stuff like that can come out and it's good, and so, and sometimes people are like, but is that God, is that just me, or is, but normally, we can get some sort of a sense of if it's God or if it's us, sometimes we may not know, and that's why we have directors, right? But if there's a certain flow to it, there's a certain peace, and it's moving us in the direction of God, and we're not getting too just focused on controlling or being centered on ourselves, we're okay to keep going. You know, if it starts to get weird, stop. You know, like if all of a sudden Tina Turner shows up and she's singing a song in the middle of 
you know, you got your heart in your head and Tina Turner's over there and you're like, what the heck is going on? It's probably good to just open your eyes, read the scripture again and maybe go back in, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's a crazy example, but sometimes crazy things happen, right, in prayer, uh, in your imagination. So, I don't know why I picked Tina Turner. Obviously, I'm dating myself terribly here. <laughs> but so... Those are some examples of the imagination in prayer. And so we should feel free to use it, but not feel bound to. And at times, even if you're not an imagination guy, God might have you go that way. Yeah. So I would just say just a certain openness to it is helpful in this consideration sort of thing. In the book, um, there's also this, this part of the circumstances on page 42, like these questions. Uh, these questions represent a survey of the classical circumstances employed by the scholastic philosophers to judge uh, the importance and significance of any, so, um, the seven circumstances, who, what, where, when, how, why, and with what assistance. So, let's see what St. Peter says about this. St. Peter does the same sort of thing here. So St. Peter of Alcantara, when he's considering the passion, so this is part of his, his, what he's writing about. It is fitting, moreover, in all these mysteries of the passion to consider Christ as present before our eyes and ourselves as there with him in his sufferings and not merely to think of the history of the passion as a whole, but all the circumstances of it and especially the four following. Who is suffering? for whom he suffers, how he suffers, and for what reason, right? Who is suffering, for whom he suffers, how he suffers, for what reason? Now this is what I would say. There can be something uh, sort of artificial and uh, sort of arduous about asking tons of questions. But at the same time, like what St. Peter says there, that can be a really fruitful move into a scripture, right? To be there in the context of the passion and to ask the question, who is he suffering? What, who is this, right? What is he suffering? For whom is he suffering, right? And to allow those questions, again, it's to provoke us, right? To provoke us, to move us in some way into the mystery that's possibly there. Now, of course, you know, I wouldn't suggest writing down the seven things, who, what, where, when, how, why, and with what assistance, and just sitting there with the scripture and going, okay, now I'm going to go on to what? Okay, now what's going on? Where? Okay. Again, all of this should be used only insofar as it's necessary for God to move my heart in prayer. Right? And so I would say be open to utilizing stuff like this, these questions, these ways of sort of ruminating and sort of chewing on either the text or the image or the mystery or whatever we've got there. But what it says very simply is the reflections, page 43, the reflections and consideration should be continued until they make a definite impression on the consciousness of the individual. So again, until you're moved, until you're struck, until you're moved in a certain direction until there's a certain light that comes in that makes you want to stay or to speak 
right? It, it could very well be like, you're, like you just asked the question, who is this that suffers? And you're like sort of imagining Jesus with the crown of thorns. And you ask, who is this? And when you just consider like this is, this is the second person of the Trinity, like who, who held all of creation in his mind, you know? Maybe you're just reduced to silence by that. Just stay there, right? Maybe there's an awe that kind of comes up. Just stay there. Or maybe there is a conversation that sort of gets spurred on by that. Then you go and you stop with the questions and you stop with the reading and you stop. So one of the key things is knowing when to stop and just sit with the thing or to stop the consideration and to move into the conversation. And you go, well, Father, like, how do I know that? Well, I'm giving you the basic tools and sometimes you may not get it perfectly right and that's okay. Right? Sometimes you may finish prayer and you may go, wow, I just like totally, like now that I look back, I realize like my heart was moved when I read those three words and I just didn't pay enough attention. So I blew by it and I just kept on reading, you know, and, it, and I sort of blew it. Okay, well, you sort of blew it. So next time try to do better, you know. Um, or you realize like you stop asking the questions, you stop sort of ruminating or considering the thing and you move into the conversation, and in, in 30 seconds, you realize you're off in la-la land, and you're talking to Jesus about, you know, like, whatever, how much you lifted. Although that might, that might be a legitimate part of your meditation, you know, or something like that. I benched, you know, however much today. But, uh, but probably you're distracted, and you just left the, the consideration too early. So just go back to it. It's not the end of the world. God's a lot bigger than your performance in prayer, right? These are just some basic rules to help you to maneuver through, to know when to leave certain things and when to go back to them, right? And the basic thing that's said in the book is, um, the beginners generally need more time on consideration and less on conversation. Okay, well, that may be generally true. So you can see what happens for you, right? And some days you may need more time on consideration, some days you may not need any. Um, Let's just see what St. Peter of Alcantara says here. Third and fourth points. Certain counsels which should be observed. Second point. I think I might have said some of this to you before. We should remember that in this exercise, we come rather to listen to God speaking to us than to speak to him. And again, so when we're moved in the consideration, this is really the Lord speaking to you, brothers. Right? Like, don't doubt that the Lord is speaking to you, right? You may not know what he's saying, and it's okay, right? But that, like, when, my heart, when I'm reading something, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and I'm moved, that's the Lord speaking a word to my heart, right? And so we need to be attentive to the movements of the heart, because this is how God speaks to us, through affections and feelings of the will and devotion, and St. Peter says on the same point, not as if preparing for preaching, must, we must try to penetrate the subject, right? So it's really for prayer, this intimacy of prayer. Worrying about preaching later. So that's one point. And then the, the next point is, one should be content to do as well as possible with what is granted us. That is being present in spirit with the sufferings of the Lord, looking upon them with a simple, subdued gaze, 
And so I like just this example or these, these sort, this sort of attitude that St. Peter of Alcantara talks about in coming to prayer. So it could be the sufferings of the Lord, it could be something else. But what is he talking about? Looking upon the mystery of Christ with a simple, subdued gaze, with a heart tender, compassionate, and disposed for whatever feeling the Lord shall be pleased to give us. That's it, right? Not coming into prayer like, okay, here we go, I'm gonna, no. Just like, Lord, whatever you wanna give me in this time of prayer, however you want to move my heart, and I come in with a reverence, a confidence, but a reverence, I encounter these words, this image, this whatever, more desirous to entertain the sentiments which his mercy may bestow upon us than to express them by force, right? So I really want to just desire whatever sentiments, whatever feelings you give me, or whatever dryness you may leave me in, Lord, right? I want to accept that, right? If we do this, we need not worry what feeling we have, right? So as long as we're entering into it the right way with reverence, openness, receptivity, just trying to let God affect us in some way, we don't have to worry about what feelings come up as long as we're entering in this, in this proper way, St. Peter of Alcantara says. And so I really like both of those. I think they're great um, kind of guidelines as we're, we're looking at the consideration part. And that's basically it. I think that the last thing that I'll say, just to highlight this once again, if you remember at the beginning of the class, I, I spoke of, oh, you can still see it didn't get erased that well. So here's, I'll redo my stick figure. It's not, and I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not, uh, it's, it's, there's no criticism. I realize that sometimes the erasing stuff doesn't go that well. <laughs> and so the real goal in prayer, so if my prayer starts to do this, Back on myself, right? So if my attention, my focus, my thing starts to fall back on myself, right? Either self-focused or selfish or criticizing myself or judging myself or whatever, just realize that, or like, wow, my, I'm doing awesome in prayer today. Okay, relax, you know? Anything where I start to fall back on myself in prayer, watch out. The point of the consideration is to move me to really be drawn towards him, to be drawn towards God. It's this constant outward movement. So when I'm moved in prayer, I'm not just moved to something that I find interesting, but rather I'm moved to something that moves me towards him. It may just be a feeling of consolation. It may be a feeling of greater hope in God, faith in God, love of God. It may be a sadness, but not a sadness that leads me to focus on myself. Oh, I'm such a bum. I'm no good, you know, I never, you know, I always get messed things up. No, 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 forget about it. If, this, if it's a sadness that's from God, the sadness leads us to him. Lord, I want to be renewed by you. I, forgive me, have mercy on me, change my heart, right? So even sadness could come up in prayer. And that can be fine as long as it's something that moves me toward the other and doesn't just get me stuck on myself. You don't have to always worry about perfectly being able to analyze, you know, what's going on here. But just in the general movement of prayer, when you consider your prayer, we need to remember it needs to be this outward move towards God away from self, right? And this is what the consideration leads us to the feelings that move us in that direction.
that's basically what I wanted to say. Questions, comments, confusion, which may or may not be clarified, but there can be attempts at clarification. No? Yeah. Any other tips on starting to use the imagination in prayer? I don't think so. Again, I, I would just be gentle with yourself if you're just starting off um, and see sort of how much your imagination is able to create scenes. There can be something helpful, potentially, without getting too stuck in it, of, you know, maybe looking at some pictures of the Holy Land or just understanding a little bit better about the context. But the ultimate thing isn't that you need a realistic imagination. You just need your imagination that God can use, right? So you, something may happen in your prayer that seems so real to you. God really is communicating with you that that actually happened historically, right? And this, this happens sometimes. Like, directees come in, they're like, like it, their experience is so vivid and real of God that they're sure, like, this is what happened in the gospel times, right? But that may or may not be true. But what's absolutely true is God's movement in the individual to lead them to the truth of himself. That is absolutely true, right? So... Um, yeah, except for what I said, I don't know that I have any other general tips. I think anything else would be like the person tries it and they come and talk to me and we can, we can talk it out a little bit and see what else might be helpful or not helpful. Um, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the only other obvious thing is to just ask God to help you. May sound simple, but sometimes we forget to do that, and it's probably step one, right? So I think that's what I could say about that. Yeah. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any, yeah, I see a question. Advice or word on like you're praying in scripture and the uh, just the response of your heart um, is pretty much like dryness. Yep. Just advice on like persevering in that. Like, uh, should I read it again? Or the dryness is what, what the Lord is giving, so I need to persevere right. in it. Right. Yeah. So, um, so the question about like when there's dryness in prayer, when that's the response of the heart, what do we do? There's a whole chapter on aridity. So why don't we just save that question for that chapter, and we can try to unpack it a bit more. Because um, I don't remember even everything that what the chapter says, but we'll look at some different possibilities of what that might mean. Yeah, it's a good question though, it's good. And it's a reality that, as far as I know, everybody experiences at some point, right? So, no shame in dryness. Frustration, maybe, but <laughs> let it go, but no shame. Anything else? <laughs>